0: Hi, welcome to our conversation today. I'm honored to be speaking with Dr. Nicholas Moss, who's the director of HIV STD section of the Division of Communicable Diseases Control and Prevention for Alameda County Public Health Department. We will be discussing herpes specifically and HPV and HIV tangentially. Thank you, Dr. Moss, for talking to me today about uh, hsv and uh, probably peripherally to some degree hiv Uh, they're highly related uh so how would you differentiate the two hsv and hiv
1: well i would start by mentioning a few things that are actually similar about them they're both uh, chronic infections so people get infected with hiv or hsv and they uh typically stay infected over the course of their lives. So these are viral infections where the body, unlike say the common cold or even you know many other more serious viral infections, for some reason the body's immune system is not able to completely eliminate the virus and it stays with you. So that's an important similarity and there's a few other examples of viruses like these that, that cause um, illnesses, either chronic illnesses or in the case of HSV illnesses that sort of uh, flare up from time to time, and then can HPV. Be, uh, HPV, although um, the immune system can clear HPV, okay. uh, so we we see, and there's a many different types of the HPV well, virus. over two hundred that I'm aware of. That's yeah. right, and so and and they they um, and 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 also people there can be a a, um, a variety of responses and from person to person in in how the body responds to the HPV infection. And actually that's uh, useful because um, HSV, we actually have two different types as well. So we don't have hundreds of types, but we have two types. We have herpes simplex virus 1 and herpes simplex virus 2. Generally speaking, herpes simplex virus 1 or HSV1 causes oral infections. So. It's the virus that causes cold sores, in, in a lot of people, um, it can be asymptomatic in many people. And HSV two is the virus that causes genital herpes, and um, it can cause uh, so it can cause symptomatic infection with genital ulcers. But also, many people have no symptoms, or they have symptoms that they don't recognize as being general herpes because they're mild or they're different from what they think of as a, a classic. Um, Herpes sore. Now, uh, you know that that's sort of a, an easy way to think about HSV one and HSV two. But actually, we do see genital HSV one infections, so it's not exclusively an, an oral pathogen. And um, HSV two can in, infect the the mouth and the throat and the lips, although we don't tend to see uh, m- the same kind of disease course with. Uh, um, HSV-2 infection of the mouth as we do with HSV-1 infection. It just it doesn't quite have the same prognosis. So um, We can talk about that. Can you part. say more about sure. that just real quickly? Yeah. So, the available evidence suggests that people who get HSV-2 infections of their mouth or throat don't have as much in the way of recurrences uh, as they might have with HSV-1 infection. Even allowing for the fact that some people have have no symptoms at all, or very very rare, very mild symptoms, it seems that HSV two doesn't really cause the same kind of clinical disease in the in the mouth that HSV one causes. The other way around is is not as uh, is is not quite the same. So if you get a genital HSV one infection, you can have a classic primary herpes episode where you have sores and maybe a little fever and a lot of discomfort, you may not have as many recurrences as somebody who has symptomatic HSV2 infection in the genitals, but you can have recurrences. And and we do see an increasing number of genital HSV1 infections in sexually active adults where Historically, we saw more infections in children, so we're talking about HSV-1 here, children would get cold sores, and they'd be infected, and by the time they hit adulthood, they weren't susceptible to getting genital HSV-1 infections. But as hygiene standards have changed, and maybe other things that we don't really understand, fewer children get oral HSV-1 infections, and that means that they're at risk for genital HSV-1 infections. So we're seeing increases in the number of genital HSV-1 infections, and they can cause symptoms and uh, potentially spread to other people, although uh, the data on that is, is not as clear as it is for HSV-2.
0: My understanding was that pre-AIDS, that herpes was, they were gearing up to really do research on herpes and really find a real vaccine for this, mm-hmm. and then HIV hit, and all that went to the wayside because HIVs can be fatal where herpes is not?
1: Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question, and uh, a lot of that's before my time, so I, I, don't, I don't have the, the, the greatest historical perspective on that. I will say that uh, the research in, in herpes really did gear up in the 1970s, and uh, that's when the drugs, some of the drugs that we still use, were starting to be investigated. And uh, people were collecting um, cohorts of people affected by herpes and, and studying the, the different diseases that you can get from herpes and, and how we might treat them. And so, um, and so I'm not sure that it was necessarily derailed by HIV. And in some ways, HIV and all the money that went into infectious disease research that came with the HIV epidemic, not right away, but eventually, some of that has been leveraged for, for herpes research and for research in sexually transmitted diseases in general. So, you know, maybe it's a blessing and a curse from a, from a research perspective, but, um, but that work does continue. People do continue to, to study uh, HSV infections and, and develop New medications and there's. I thought on, there were only basically
0: two medications for HSV. At there's this point.
1: there's three closely related medications for HSV. So acyclovir, valacyclovir, which is acyclovir that can be absorbed a little bit better in the gut, hmm. so you you can get higher doses, higher higher amounts in the blood, and then another medication called pencyclovir. I think I'm getting that correct. We we tend to use acyclovir or valacyclovir the most. And
0: what's valtrex?
1: Valtrex is valacyclovir, Okay, so that's the brand name. All right. And uh, and so those those drugs have all been studied. They're all effective in, in treating both primary the first episode of, of general herpes and also recurrent episodes. Not studied as much for, for oral herpes, although similar viruses and, and they, there is, um, you know, you can get some benefit of treatment, but most of the research has been focused on general herpes and they're effective, they're not perfect. We know that even when you take those medications, you can have some breakthrough symptomatic episodes, uh, and you can have some breakthrough shedding, but um, they, they do reduce the frequency of recurrences, they reduce the amount of time that you have symptoms if you're somebody who does get symptoms from the infection.
0: And do they really understand the frequency of shedding? Has that been documented?
1: Sure, so I, I did my uh, uh, postgraduate medical research work. And we with, can you explain what
0: shedding is? I mean, sure. You I yeah. know, but, but not everyone so, may know So what I it did is. it with the,
1: with the research group. I, it wasn't my work, but I did it with the research group that really pioneered the research into uh, shedding. And so what shedding may, means in the case of uh, HSV infections is that the virus, regardless of whether or not you have the sore, there's virus around and that that comes out of your body because you're infected chronically and that can be transmitted to another person. We can talk about how that works a little bit later, but the, um, so shedding is just virus that uh, is uh, produced in your body as a consequence of your infection and is uh, released. Um, And typically the way it works for Uh, genital herpes is that the virus lives chronically in uh, nerves, in the nerves that supply the skin of the genitalia, and it can lie dormant. And then for reasons that we don't fully understand, at times reactivate travel and and nerves for uh, people who don't know too much about how they work. The nerves are very long cells that... uh, transmit information about sensations to the brain. They do. They have a lot of other functions but in this case we're talking about nerves that provide a sensation of touch or pain, things like that. The virus actually lives in these very long cells and it lives up near the spine and it can travel down these long nerves down to the skin once it reactivates and transmit through the skin layer and be released into the environment. And, um, and so that's sort of a brief overview of how uh, what shedding is and, and how it works. And uh, we have tools where we can test for the virus on the skin or in a sore, if a sore develops at the place where the virus uh, emerges from the nerve. And uh, scientists have used those tools to have people check themselves, like with a with a Q tip, basically, um, every day or sometimes multiple times a day, even when they don't have symptoms. These are people we know have have genital herpes infection.
0: And people tend to break out in the same place over and over again.
1: Well, that's right. Uh, although they're, they're, although the the virus. Um, Although that's not exclusively true in all okay, situations. Right. But it, it is true that people tend to have the same type of recurrence over and over again in the same place. But even in places where they don't have that recurrence, the virus can emerge from from the skin and be detected. And so so people have looked for at how much virus is coming out even on days when people are not having infections. And that's how we know that on as much as 10% a day is is virus detectable, even in people who aren't having symptoms. Wow. Yeah. And it can vary. It can vary. Some people shed a lot. Some people don't shed very much. But that means that you can spread the infection even when you're not having sores. More likely to happen when you're having sores, but it is possible. What's the percentage. But it also is the right
0: situation. So talk about actual transmission. Yeah. What, what are the conditions that have to be present for it to be transmitted? Sure.
1: Well, first of all, physical contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the um, the virus has to be being shed. If the virus isn't being shed, no transmission is going to happen. And most people aren't going to know when shedding is happening. You can't tell. If you don't have a sore, you're not going to know. Uh, but the virus has to be present. You have to have physical contact. And it turns out that human skin is, is pretty tough. And pretty thick, even in the general areas. But the places where it's vulnerable are where there's cracks or tears, sometimes things that can happen during sex that you might not otherwise notice or you might you might not know they're there, but little uh, areas of trauma um, or mucosal surfaces. So these are kind of the wet surfaces that um, are part of our body, but often on the inside. So inside the urethra or inside the rectum. So is the
0: urethra a common place for breakouts?
1: No, it actually usually what yeah. we see classically is um, breakouts on the surface in men on the surface of the penis, areas that might get a little bit, just a little bit traumatized during sex. You maybe you wouldn't even notice, but the virus can sneak in somehow and set up set up shop. And there's a little bit of data on transmission, mostly from heterosexual couples, mm-hmm. but it seems to take a, an average of about 40 sexual episodes, so 40 episodes of sex in a new couple in which, in which one person has herpes and the other person doesn't at the start. It seems to take about 40 episodes before a transmission event happens. Now that's an average, it's going to be a lot less in some people and may never happen in others, um, but it, it's not going to happen right away necessarily, but it it usually happens eventually.
0: So other than being aware of breakouts coming on, yeah. and somebody who is, in my experience, people who are aware of what's going on in their body feel a tingling sensation mm-hmm. in the area of the breakout beforehand, and mm-hmm. if they're paying attention to that, then they they're they're either shedding or they're not. They're about to have a breakout of some kind, and so if they refrain from that area or refrain from sex, it's going to dramatically reduce the likelihood of transmission. Which is that accurate in your experience? Yeah.
1: So that's it's a hard thing to study, but mm-hmm. it's a good guess that um, if uh, people are feeling a little bit of that that those symptoms and that that they know are a sign that outbreak is coming on that um, avoiding sex will uh, protect their sex partners again not everybody is going to know at any every time that they shed but those episodes where people have symptoms where they feel things those are usually times when there's more virus around and so those are the you know higher risk times and it, it is a good time to avoid sex
0: okay uh is HSV typically included in community health department screenings, STD screenings?
1: That's a great question. Typically, in general, it is not. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, one very important reason is it is a uh, a chronic infection that we don't have a, a, an easy curative treatment that would interfere with transmission to other people in the way that we do with syphilis, chlamydia, or gonorrhea. So um, so those diseases are a little bit different. They are uh, typically treated with a single dose of a medication that cures them. And, and herpes doesn't work that way. And so, um, and also curing them means they're not gonna spread it to anybody else. With treatment for herpes, we're not, in general, when we're making our clinical decisions about who to treat, we don't necessarily treat everybody, and that treatment doesn't necessarily guarantee that they won't spread it to other people, and so, um, so we don't have the same tools and strategies for herpes that we have for some of our other sexually transmitted diseases. Because of that, we we don't invest our rather limited resources in testing for it. Um, and so that's a sort of rational, good explanation. I think there are other things at play though, which is even doctors and other healthcare providers have a hard time talking about herpes. They they don't necessarily do a good job of educating people and talking to them about risk. People don't necessarily want to know, and so that those are other barriers that have contributed to the to the historical um, uh, exclusion of of. HSV testing in in public health settings. There are other reasons. It's the tests uh, are not necessarily perfect and uh, don't necessarily lend themselves well to that kind of approach, uh, although they're much better now than they were. Um, and you really need a good test if you're going to have a, a, a public health screening program. Uh, so there are other other factors at play, but, but there definitely is... Um, you know, a choice, a sort of a, an unconscious choice has been made by public health practitioners that it's going to be hard to do herpes testing in a public health setting and have those conversations, And you know, when you're trying to see lots of patients and move them through. And that's something we could probably do better on.
0: And that's not just public health departments. It's generally doctors and doctor's offices when people do STD screenings, mm-hmm. HSV, is not generally part of that. And I think HPV isn't generally. Odd. That's right. so Those are specific right. tests that have to be requested, and paid for. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're both expensive tests, as, as I'm aware of.
1: That's true. Yeah, although, as with a lot of things, if we bought more of them, maybe the price would come down. You know, um, so they they are expensive. But tests for syphilis and and gonorrhea and chlamydia are also expensive. So that's not the whole story.
0: So. What would you typically tell someone who has a confirmed HSV diagnosis?
1: So what I tell people is, first and foremost, this is, you know, is is not the end of your sex life. It's It's, you know, something that's, you know, you have to be aware of and you have to think about. It's an important thing to discuss with your sex partners, but it's not... You know, it's not the, the, the end of, of sex, and it, and it's not even necessarily something that, um, you know, is going to result in uncomfortable symptoms and things like that. For many people, it, it isn't. If, if someone comes to me because they have symptoms already and that's why they get tested, it changes the conversation a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think it's really important to reassure people that, they can continue to have a healthy, enjoyable sex life even though they have a, a diagnosis of, of general HSV infection. Um, that said, I do also, you know, educate people about what the course of um, the infection might look like, so what to expect in terms of recurrences, um, and um, and how they might address it with their partner. So. Uh, one issue that, that frequently comes up is people become anxious about if they're in, say, a stable relationship or they're with a new partner that they're hoping to have a, a long-term relationship with, um, is, uh, you know, how do I talk to my partner about this and and, and will this ruin the relationship, that, that sort of thing. And I, you know, I, I understand that. Those are um, valid concerns. But... A lot of times the partner may also be infected. And so it's, it's not an easy conversation and I'm always happy to help people. I always offer to discuss with them and their partner the diagnosis. But um, the first thing, the first thing to do is the partner should get checked out as well. And it's not about who infected who, you can't really ever determine that and, and I never to, you know, to test for that reason. But if the partner also has herpes infection, the same type, then that's sort of off the table in terms of their relationship. You know, they can, they can move on and discuss the other things that may or may not lead to a happy, healthy relationship. If the partner isn't infected, then we can talk about tools to prevent transmission. And there are a few things we can do.
0: And would you have the same, you specifically referenced uh, genital herpes, but would not the same things apply to oral herpes?
1: Well, yeah, yes and no. I it, I, think, and this, this comes up, I'm asked this question often, um, there's a few differences. So one is, they're different diseases, different infections, mm-hmm. um, and um, people's... Uh, Uh, concerns tend to be a little bit different with cold sores. Uh, Also, um, oral herpes, HSV-1 infection of the mouth, cold sores, although many people don't have symptoms, is much more common. Give me a percentage. Well, it's about 50 percent.
0: Of the general population. Of the general population. And in highly sexually active populations, do we have any idea?
1: Um, So I don't know those numbers off the top of my head, but I think for oral HSV-1 infection, it's similar to the general population. So we don't see much higher rates in people who are very sexually active because those, because what drives transmission in the oral area is not exactly the same as what is driving, you know. It's not like people are, just because they have many more sex partners doesn't necessarily mean that they have had many more frequent exposures to oral HSV infection in the same way that we might see with genital HSV infection. But
0: oral is primarily t- transmitted through kissing?
1: Well, kissing or close contact. And, and if you're people kissing have a lot that,
0: more people, I would think that would increase your percentage. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I could see that, why you might think that. But remember, we have close contact with people with our face and hands. Mm-hmm our whole lives, in Mm -hmm. many contexts outside of sex, there's many other situations over the course of somebody's lives where they might have a chance to transmit oral HSV that have nothing to do with sexual encounters. Sure, and I wasn't thinking
0: just sex, but the increased frequency of sex, particularly in kissing, uh, and I'm seeing an increased number of people who have HSV-1 anally.
1: Well, that's different. So now you're talking about a genital HSV-1 infection. Right, and, exactly. And, and in that case, the, the sexual history and sexual risk behavior does apply. I'm just saying that for oral infections, okay. we it's not clear that what drives our high rates of-, of HSV-2. Of HSV-1 oh, prevalence in the general population has anything to do with sexual behavior. And so I'm what's, talking about- right. I get just it. these general and, and remember a lot of it is, happens in childhood where it's sort of close contact with other kids but they're not necessarily kissing. Or
0: Aunt yeah. Susie kissing exactly. Two the lips, exactly. Right. So. so HSV2 what's the percentages?
1: So HSV2 interestingly it seems to have been decreasing in recent years and, and these are based on large national surveys where they do blood testing they're not perfect but they're pretty good about 15 or 16% of the adult population in the United States has HSV2 infection based on a blood test looking for antibodies. Uh, As many as 90% of those people have never been diagnosed with genital herpes. Um, It's Many of them may have symptoms that they would not have recognized as General something Humphrey's that came and went and a they little just didn't yeah a little bit of anything. an itch that comes right. here and there you know maybe a red mark but not necessarily a classic because there's sword. a sore
0: huge range from a cluster breakout all the way through a little discomfort
1: exactly exactly <laughs> so a little discomfort you you would never nec- like this think like, oh, that okay that's some skin problems. irritation
0: yeah. it's just going away but a little
1: trauma after sex so yeah.
0: the last numbers I saw that among the HIV population men with HIV the 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 HSV infection rate was running 50%. Yeah, that's Is that an accurate number on Yeah,
1: under? and you know, I don't think anybody's looked at huge numbers of people with HIV H- to see how much HSV they have. But if you take, you know, a few hundred people from different clinics and you look at the numbers, it's about 50%. Yeah.
0: And uh, speaking of medications, I just saw a paper that talked about the guys on PrEP. Which is the preventative for HIV mm-hmm. reduces the likelihood of actually getting HSV. Too.
1: Yeah, it's an it's <laughs> an interesting uh, outcome from all these uh, research studies of pre exposure prophylaxis, which is using uh, right now the only licensed medication in the United States is, is a, a combination medication tenofovir and another drug called emtricitabine. Um, it seems that that medication or those medications, I think it's the tenofovir more than the m seems to have some anti-HSV effect. Um, and that was just a, a, a sort of a, a, um, a, a parallel discovery that, that came along with all this research into PrEP. And, um, it's still an area where people are asking questions and all the answers aren't in yet, but it, there may be some benefit regarding HSV with PrEP that we, we didn't anticipate.
0: Well, it's always interesting, like Welbutrin turned out to be a great anti-smoking drug. Right. So it's, a, it's an antidepressant. They right. just but the mobile and discovered they suddenly stopped smoking. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, everybody knows
1: about medication side effects right. and, and sometimes, sometimes those... good side effects. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> they're, they're, there's an upside, you know, so... Okay. So,
0: so. would you have any particular uh, differences in between the transmission or having sex between men with men or men with women that you would like to say?
1: Sure. Um, in general, women tend to have higher prevalence of genital HSV infection than men mm-hmm. and the reason for that may just have to do with the surface area that's susceptible to infection. So inside the vagina is a lot of a mucosal surface that is uh, a little more susceptible than dry external skin. To infection so traumatized
0: through intercourse exactly so sure
1: exactly. So those reasons may be why there may be other more complicated um, biological reasons and in, in terms of you know what the virus, what kind of cells the virus likes to infect. Um, we certainly see that with HIV infection um, and so so women tend to have a, a little bit higher prevalence when you just look across the population. Um, however, with men who have sex with men, you know, and you're talking about receptive anal intercourse, um, you're also talking about a, 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 a mucosal area that's vulnerable to trauma and, and, and has um, a little bit less, it, um, it may be a little bit more susceptible than, than external skin to infection with the virus. So, um, So I think that there are, while women seem to be at a little bit higher risk than men in general with men who have sex with men you know, you'd want to be conscious of, of the fact that there are some, some other behaviors that could increase risk.
0: And men having sex with men are typically going to have a higher number of sexual partners.
1: Well, that's the other thing that drives risk. So, so over time, the probability that you're going to uh, encounter the virus same as with HIV... Everybody's been exposed whether
0: that they got the virus or not and so either they have a sub-substability to it or lucky or whatever word you want to use didn't get it
1: so... Well uh, I guess what I was going to say is over time the chances that one of your partners has one of these viruses and is is infectious increases you know over over the you know as the number of partners that you have increases and what we see with genital herpes infection is that older people, the prevalence rates increase, so the number of people in the population in a given age group is higher for older age groups than younger ones, just because they've had more time to encounter a partner who's infected. So,
0: Can we take a short side trip here of to talk about HPV? Sure. Because now they have the vaccine mm-hmm. for some of the more nasty strains of that. I don't think it covers all strains. Is that accurate? yeah? So it it those
1: the there's uh, two vaccines that are um, uh, commercially available right now, and one is will vaccinate against two strains of HPV that have been associated with cervical cancer and other um, HPV can cause other types of cancers, but that's the most common. Um, so that's cancers that women get. And what's and the most then,
0: common one for men? Well. Or is that really well documented? I, I well,
1: it's it's just not an area that I, okay. I have as I'm much expertise curious. in. But yeah. you can get um, so uh, HPV can cause um, cancers in uh, so penile cancers in particular, and the risk seems to be a little bit higher in uncircumcised men. Hmm. Um, but that risk is it, it's we see those cancers are much more rare than than. Um, you know, other cancers that people are so at I'm risk hearing for. something about the throat? That's right. And then the other place is head and neck cancers. So okay. tongue, throat, yeah. um, they're clinically they're sort of referred to as a group as head and neck cancers. And those are also associated with HPV infection, but also with, uh, smoking and alcohol use. And maybe it's the combination of the mm-hmm. three and those are uncommon. Um, Uncommon even as cancers go, but, but they do happen. Cervical cancer is more common. So you know, prior to cervical cancer screening approaches with women was a, a major killer and still is in many parts of the world. And so from a public health standpoint, that was sort of reasons one, two, and three to get a vaccine out there. But men are at risk for penile cancer and other types of cancers, and they're at risk of spreading to female partners. So they're giving the vaccine
0: to boys and girls. It's equally effective. Mm-hmm. And the point is to get it to them as soon as possible, right. because the moment they start having sex, the HPV is much more prevalent.
1: That's right. People have looked at women in in, in, in college, and they, um, they actually acquire HPV at a pretty high rate. It's sexually active. People get it. Um, one of You know, they don't necessarily, there's many different types as we've described, and, you know, they may get one type and not another type, but it it is pretty common to get some type of HPV infection, you know, once you become sexually active. So it's great to get the vaccine before you become sexually active.
0: And I'm seeing more and more guys and women, frankly, who are getting really virulent strains of HPV where they're having to have these really invasive anal surgeries in order to cut it out, and mm-hmm. it can even sometimes recur at that point. Mm-hmm. So it, it covers a wide range. In yeah. some ways, it's, 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 it has more of an impact on people than H, HSV.
1: Uh, it, it can in that it can cause, you know, HSV doesn't lead to cancer. There's no, we've, we've never seen any association between HSV and cancer. It can cause some, uh, you know, rarely cause some serious complications. It can cause um, meningitis. Mm-hmm. Um, the HSV1 has been associated with uncommon cases of, of encephalitis or brain so brain infection. So we do occasionally see these severe health outcomes with HSV, um, and we can talk a little bit later about neonatal HSV, so HSV in newborns. Um, but uh, but in general, we don't see these um, you know associations with cancer, um, and the severe outcomes with HSV are, are fairly uncommon um, even though it's such a common infection in the population. Uh, but HPV, this the association with cancer is, is real, and also w- with warts and um, and so people can get, um, you know warts you uh, uh, anal warts, and they can also get penile warts. Women get them right. in the vagina, and um, and those there's a, a few different strategies that we use to take care of those. But some of them can be um, uh, difficult uh, 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 problems to deal with. A lot of people don't have symptoms. Many people get these. Most people don't, right?
0: Yes, yeah. is my understanding. Yeah. So warts is just sort of one <laughs> it's one end of the spectrum, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, you answered my next question about it's the worst case HSV outbreak infection. So, uh,
1: what you, do you mean the worst case in terms of somebody's just, uh, what happens to somebody when they're first infected?
0: Yeah, or just in general. I mean, uh, I read an article that said of HSV1 HSV2 that HSV1 was actually the nastier of the two viruses in terms of what it could do to you. Uh, sure. But even though HSV2 has all the bad press because it's connected to the genital right. and sex. And right. So we the underlying conversation here which yeah. I'm not needing to have with you but it's about the shame that related yeah. to this and that's why it's so such a hot topic. It yeah. isn't because it's such a nasty virus or right. because it destroys your life. Right. It's because it brings up all the sexual shame.
1: And well, that's another conversation. The, so I just what I'll say about this is that for the from the standpoint of the patient, you know, the person who comes into my office or some clinic or talks to anybody about um, a general herpes infection the type is not necessarily so much the issue what's the issue is they have general herpes if they have you know cl- a clinical disease mm-hmm. it it it's a little bit of a different conversation if they've never had symptoms and they have a blood test that says they have HSV-1 or 2. Maybe more
0: infections. and more guys who are asymptomatic and they get tested like,
1: right. "Oh my god, I have right. HSV, but right. I've
0: never had a breakout that I right. know of. I don't know right. where it is." And so general herpes
1: <laughs> is the clinical disease where you get sores or recurrences, things like that. And 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 sometimes it's caused by one and one is I have read that one can cause very severe first episodes, mm-hmm. but maybe not as many Recurrences and, mm-hmm. and people who do get recurrences and are stress related. Stress for a lot of people. Stress seems to be associated with uh, recurrences, trauma, um, for cold sores, sunshine. You know, there there's a variety of things that have been reported, okay. but we we still don't really understand what happens at those the roots of those nerves to wake up the virus. Okay,
0: good. Well, that's super. I uh, my doctor. Or, now, deceased doctor said that gay men were most likely, in his experience, to get HSV in the back of their throats, on their penis, as uh, the two most likely come mm-hmm. locations. Or,
1: or as we were talking about earlier, you know, rectal infection. Increasingly rectal, yeah. Uh, I think uh, herpes is the second most frequent cause of proctitis, so inflammation of the rectum mm. um, but behind gonorrhea, uh, in, at least in one study. And, you um, also, we see occasional uh, recurrences of genital herpes, sort of on the buttocks mm-hmm. or on the even on the leg. I hear about on the leg all the time. I, you know, sometimes they're diagnosed as shingles, or you know, people don't know quite what they are because it doesn't seem like it would be the place where you would have a genital herpes infection because it's kind of off to the side. But it, you know, on the buttocks, if you have a recurrent sores. It's probably probably general herpes, and and worth getting tested for that.
0: And the shingles vaccine does not impact HSV?
1: Yeah, so they're closely related viruses, but they are different viruses, and the vaccine does not, the shingles vaccine does not protect against HSV or reduce recurrences with HSV. There are people working on HSV vaccines still. Um, In the past, nothing has panned out, but it's an ongoing area of research.
0: So HSV and shingles are both chickenpox related?
1: So yeah, so shingles is caused by varicella zoster virus. So VZV, which is the same virus that causes chickenpox, and chickenpox like herpes is a chronic viral infection that lives in the nerves. They're closely related but they're not exactly the same and they they work a little bit differently. Most people get chickenpox as a child. Now, most children get vaccinated. Um, and then shingles is when chickenpox, when that virus reawakens, usually years later, and usually only once or twice, if ever, over the lifetime of an individual, um, and it causes blisters and sores and pain, pain and discomfort. Pain for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there, there are some similarities clinically, but also some important differences, and and they are closely related viruses. So, HSV uh, one, HSV two. Uh, uh, varicella zoster virus, VZV, um, and there's a few other viruses in that family that that cause chronic infections, um, but they're clinically a little bit different.
0: Okay. Uh, it, I see a lot of gay men's personals, and and I actually see this in, in personals across the board in terms of gay and straight mm-hmm. and bi, but is that they insist that they're STD-free or clean. Yeah. Would you, would you like to say anything about that?
1: Well, I would say here's here's. The, the good thing about that, they're talking about it, and it indicates that they've probably been tested, right? But if they're being honest, right? If they so,
0: haven't been tested, yeah, I I know where you're going with this, <laughs>
1: but I but I want to reinforce <laughs> that it's important to get tested. I agree with that, and yes. it's important <laughs> to discuss these things, mm-hmm. and it's important to discuss them with with your partners. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's a good thing. Uh, I think what you're getting at, and what is is a valid concern, is that. They may, if they went and got tested and they they got tested at their local clinic or by their physician it's unclear whether they would have been tested for hsv or hpv unlikely Un- exactly <laughs> unlikely in most cases although in some cases people get tested for everything mm-hmm. and they insist and their physician tests them so um in most cases it's going to be they got checked for chlamydia and gonorrhea, or they got checked for chlamydia and gonorrhea and syphilis. Mm-hmm. With luck, they were checked for HIV as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in most cases, it's unlikely that they would have been checked for HSV, HPV, trichomonas. There's uh, a few other things that are floating around out there that are, you know, uncommon or you know that we don't screen for regularly. So, it's it's. It really applies to just a subset of the sexually transmitted diseases that are quite common but that are also the ones that we, we test for so so it, it you know it, it is true that it, it it might be an overstatement in, in, in cases like that so.
0: well from the psychological perspective to me I agree with you that it's nice that they're getting checked. They have an overblown idea typically in my experience about what being checked means. Yeah. And but I also think it's an expression of shame, uh, in that I'm not like you dirty whores out there. That I'm, mm-hmm. I'm above all of that. Right. And so it's it's an un. Intentional or maybe intentional shaming of other people mm-hmm. that they're somehow different and better, and I actually think for mm-hmm. gay men it's an expression of internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other discussion. Sure, <laughs> so. and and, and
1: uh, you know maybe further even further outside my area of expertise. but but I will say that that um, it 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 does create an interesting dynamic in the you know people's sexual uh, interactions and and. Um, uh, and, um, and, you know, we don't always have the best tools to help people learn about sexuality or how to talk about sex and how to talk about STDs, and, and I recognize that as a shortcoming in our, in our business. But, uh, but I do really encourage people to continue to test, even if it's, you know, it's not the full suite of infections that we're testing for routinely. It's still important to get tested, and it is still important to talk about it.
0: What can we do to better educate guys about HSV?
1: Well, we, we need to do a better job of educating not just guys and, and high-risk guys, but everybody mm. about sex, mm. sex in general, how to protect themselves, how to reduce the risk of unintended pregnancy. You know, it's something that we, we have. A, there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, but in the case of uh, men who have sex with men, there are, um, there's a few things that we, I think we as public health professionals need to do a better job at. You know, in the days of, of the internet and mobile devices and things like that, there's a lot of stuff out there, but we need good, high quality, easy to access references and resources that are plain language that educate people about the risks and the realities of, of sex, um, but in a way that, that is, um, uh, you know, not shaming or not judgmental and things like that. It's just, you know, tools that people can use to lead healthier sex lives. Um, and so, um, there's some of that out there, but it's fragmented and it's easier to access in some places than others, and for some diseases than others. So we definitely need better tools there. We need to have that information available to men in the places where they're meeting partners, and in these days, that's increasingly online, and there's a running debate in in STD Public Health about how health departments or CDC or or, or, um, other health education outreach folks, what kind of presence they have in uh, hookup sites, websites, or mobile tools that people use to meet sex partners, and how that looks, how it works, what the relationship is between say public health and the, and the companies that run these, these um, sites. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's a real area where we could do a better job and we could do a better job working with the private sector to, um, to provide information in a way that, uh, in a place where, where people are actually meeting their sex partners and living out their, their sex lives. Um, and, uh, and I, I do think, um, you know, we're in the era of the Affordable Care Act, and we're trying to get more people engaged in primary health care with the primary care provider that they see routinely. You know, it's a lot of young people, a lot of young guys in particular, do not engage with the health care system. But in as much as they do, we should also have um, care providers, doctors, and others who do a better job talking about sexual risk and educating um, uh, sexually active folks of all ages about, um, you know, healthy sex lives and healthy sexual behavior. So, um, those are a few examples, but there are, there are others. And it's part of what we should be doing here and we're, we're trying, but I think we could do a better job.
0: Is there any last thing that you want to say to, to people?
1: Well, I, I just, I want to thank you for, uh, coming to talk. Um, HSV and general herpes are, um, you know, often get sort of pushed to the side or marginalized in public health. And it's great to have somebody who wants to come talk about it and share information about general herpes and, um, uh, you know, with the broader community and give us an opportunity to talk about it because we do so often focus on HIV and syphilis. and, um, And so thank you for that opportunity. My pleasure. And I just want to say that, uh, you know, these, to your listeners and to anybody else, um, you know, these STDs and and herpes, they're out there and they're sort of a a fact of life in a way. We're doing our best to um, develop tools to prevent infections, transmission, you know, maybe someday have vaccines that, that... Eliminate these kinds of things, but they are out there, and um, people do need to educate themselves so that they can have uh, a healthier sex life. And um, reach out to your care providers and ask questions. You know, um, and 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 learn about this stuff so that you can have a healthier sex life.
0: Yeah, the word I would use, I would say, is a more conscious sex life. Yeah, that's <laughs> correct. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Because I think that one leads to the other, but, but you're not mm-hmm. going to get healthy until you get conscious, and yeah. it's really about facing the shame or whatever else you have going on about mm-hmm. that. So You can really be present. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really enjoyed this. Well, it was my pleasure, and I hope,
1: I hope you know, if, if, if somebody hears something that sounds inaccurate or they have questions, by all means, you know, come... Check us out and 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 let us know. Um, you know, evidence, scientific evidence changes and practices change, and and I sometimes get things wrong. But um, but I hope that this is useful and 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 um, and uh, again, really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you very much.